You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with authors to find out the story behind their stories and their top tips for getting published. Catherine Pollock worked in independent record stores in Brisbane and Sydney for many years. She holds a PhD in Humanities and Communication Arts from Western Sydney University's Writing and Society Research Centre. In 2021, she won the Queensland Writers' Centre's GenreCon Short Story Competition and had another short story published in Zine West. Her work has also been featured in Kill Your Darlings, Funny Ha Ha and Lip. Catherine's debut novel has just hit the shelves. It's called Her Fidelity and it's published by Penguin. Catherine Pollock, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That is quite the extensive bio. <laughs> it's, uh, it sounds more impressive than it perhaps is, but uh, <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> now, congratulations on your debut novel. It's absolutely fabulous. Now, it's only just hit the shelves. So for people who haven't got their hands on a copy of Her Fidelity yet, what's it about? Sure. Um, so Her Fidelity is um, what I like to call a uh, kind of a coming of age story if the protagonist were closer to 30. <laughs> so it's not young adult, but uh, the character is in a sort of a state of arrested development. But in short, it's a woman named Kathy who works at an independent record store in Brisbane, sort of exploring the trials and tribulations of being a woman in that industry. Now, elephant in the room, your name's Catherine, main character's <laughs> Kathy. You've worked in record stores. She's in a record store. Is it a semi-memoir or completely fictional? Uh, it's not a semi-memoir. Um, I think probably my feeling is that many, if not almost all debut novels in particular, draw on, you know, some element of life. I think it's inevitable. So certainly in terms of, um, I suppose, experiences and feelings, um, a lot of that is drawn from life, but the characters and the narrative arc is a work of fiction. Excellent. So what compelled you to write the story? Where did it come from? Um, well, funnily enough, despite what I just said, it probably is safest to say it came from my many years working in the <laughs> um, or across several record stores um, specifically. Um, but I, um, yeah, so I'd worked in independent record stores since I was 15. I'm turning 34. So um, it's been many years of um, navigating that industry. <laughs> Um, and then I uh, was exploring women in music writing confessional works within my PhD uh, here in Sydney and, um, yeah, just kind of felt compelled to share our version of a confessional story from someone in that industry, albeit not, strictly speaking, my own. Right. So let's look at that a little bit. So it, the book is a real eye-opener for females in the music industry I didn't realize that there was such a gender divide in it talk me through that a little bit what was your experience sure um so yeah it's I I'm happy to see that I think the landscape is changing slowly but surely probably alongside or in step with many other dominated industries um you know the tide is kind of begrudgingly turning um depending on your perspective um but, yes, yeah, certainly it's been my experience that I've been one of a minority of 
uh, women in that occupation. And I've worked in some shops with pretty large staff and it's still been majority male. Um, the majority of music that has been sold at the shops I've worked at has been um, by male performers as well. Um, and it really just kind of bleeds into every aspect of the industry, you know, um, whether it's the record companies um, or the musicians or, you know, um, in my experience, the people working in the stores. Um, and it can be a pretty hostile or objectifying industry, um, which is not the totality of it. There's a really wonderful side of being in that business as well, but um, it certainly has its uh, difficulties to navigate as well. Was there any, were there any hesitations on your part, given, like you said, this isn't a memoir, but it has taken a lot of inspiration from your own experience. And there is that kind of, like I said, that that eye-opening spotlight that's being put on on females in the industry and their treatment from their male counterparts. Were there any hesitations on your part sharing it in case, I guess, people you'd worked with in the past took offence or anything like that? Um, yes and no. So, um, you know, certainly I'm still friends with many of the people that I've worked with across the handful of shops I've worked at. So I did worry and perhaps still do truthfully that some people might misinterpret and um, take offence or feel a bit, I, I don't know, steamrolled by it or something like that. But but to be honest, the large majority of me doesn't feel that way because I feel like if you see yourself reflected in those pages in a negative way, I think that says well, more about the issue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that, um, you know, it's more important to be truthful about this stuff than to keep it a secret. And, you know, um, I think the benefits of it outweigh the negatives, um, you know, both for me personally, but just as a general kind of conversation starter, as you say, to kind of shed a light on it. I think that's ultimately the more important endeavor. Yeah. Talk us through some of your experiences or even some of Kathy's experiences that we see in the store of that gen gender imbalance in the mm -hmm. record stores. Sure. Um, it's, in my experience, was worse when I was younger. Um, you know, people, I think, can take more uh, take advantage of you to a greater extent, you know, because of course you're younger and more naive and more pliable. And I was a bit more unsure of myself and what was right and wrong, you know, all those sorts of classic scenarios. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it would be things like, um, you know, questionable comments made about your dress or your appearance, um, a lot of sort of doubting that you're a true music fan, a lot of sort of testing of your knowledge, you know, um, name three songs of the band that you're wearing on your T-shirt um, and a lot of sort of, um, yeah, just testing, I would say, that certainly my male counterparts never experienced, even if they were younger than me. Um, there was some outright hostility, um, by and large, not from people I worked with, but by members of the public or some customers. But, you know, it happened on both sides, I suppose. Um, and I guess just generally feeling on the outside, you know, or being made to feel on the outside. So, you know, it could vary from, you know, the very mundane and trivial to the, you know, um, pretty explosive. So there's a few moments in the book where the character deals with some, you know, sort of more overt hostility and aggression, um, which, yeah, is something that I recognise in my experiences as well. But 
that sort of level, that higher end stuff is a little bit more rare, thankfully. It's more just those sort of, I suppose we would say microaggressions. Like the little throwaway comments that I guess Mm. it was a once off, probably not a big deal, but I imagine they'd stack up pretty quickly. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And I think as well, just even if it's not hostility or, um, you know, sort of overt misogyny, when you're the only one in the room, it's hard to feel comfortable because, you know, you need people like you around you to relate to and, you know, sort of share in those common experiences with. Yeah. So you wrote the novel as part of a PhD. That's right, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. So what was the process like? When did you start? What happened, I guess? Sure. Well, I suppose um, the the hyper-specific truth is that I had the uh, idea um, quite a few years ago in my undergraduate studies. Um, I remember just doing a first chapter of something vaguely like this for an assignment, um, but it never really went anywhere and I just forgot about it, I suppose. Um, and I wasn't kind of... Um, yeah, thinking about it on such a conscious level, but it was it's was such an obvious choice for me with the PhD, with what I was studying, um, where I was looking at women writing about their experiences in music confessionally, some nonfiction, but some fiction as well. Um, and I found that most of the accounts that I was coming across in my research were memoirs by musicians which makes sense um but there was a bit of a dearth of accounts from you know things like music critics and record salespeople and just fans um which I think is equally a part of the experience of being a woman in a woman in music so it was something that I wanted to explore so I did that uh in my PhD over about three years give or take um and it formed about 50 percent of the total thesis yeah how much guidance do you get for something like this if you're working on it as part of a PhD? Um, the exegetical component of my PhD, so the research part was um, uh, I was I had a wonderful supervisory team towards the end that were, um, yeah, super beneficial and there was a lot of back and forth and um, there's a, a lovely writing workshop through the uni that I went to that I would, you know, um, uh, put things into the mix and see where they landed and things like that. But for the most part, the creative was self-guided. It was pretty much just something that I did um, not entirely independently. You know, people would look at it and peer critique it and things like that, but it was nothing that um, anyone really uh, gave me that sort of level of guidance with. It was kind of just, I was basically left to my own devices with that, which was quite um, stressful at times, but um, quite liberating, I think, ultimately. Yeah. So did you go in there with a solid plan in terms of what you wanted the story arc to look like overall or did you just start writing and see where it took you? Yeah, I started writing and <laughs> saw where it took me. Um, I've never been a huge planner until quite recently. Um, I will have a general sense of the direction that I want it to go in, but I usually just kind of sit down and write and see where it takes me or at least as I said, historically, that's what I've done. Um, I'm not sure if that's the best approach, but it worked for this project. Um, And yeah, thankfully, because I was doing it through the PhD, I had quite a lot of time and space to kind of explore and tease things out and try things and throw things at the wall and see if they stuck, um, which was hugely beneficial part of that process. Um, There were some more um, strategic moves and some changes once 
I found out it was going to be published. So in conversation with my editor, but that was a sort of second level of story development. So how did that publication deal come about? <laughs> sure. Um, after a lot of um, setbacks and, you know, uh, failures and rejections, or, or at least that's how it felt at the time. <laughs> and I think that's really common. Um, uh, but I had, truthfully, I was pitching it to people that it wasn't probably you know, the home it was meant to end mm-hmm. up at. So a lot of sort of um, smaller presses um, that, you know, specialise in beautiful, uh, you know, highly literary pieces, but perhaps less of a focus on the commercial or the comedic and, you know, things like that. Um, and so I just was at a bit of a loose end and I put a bit of a call out on um, social media and I explained the premise of the group and um, someone from um uh, Penguin, my publisher, reached out to me. Um, and invited no me. way. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, I didn't actually see the message for about two or three weeks because it was in a spam folder and I just sometimes lie awake at night thinking the sliding doors of it all. <laughs> I could have not I've seen that never message. never heard of that. So, sorry, this message, the call out that you'd done. Yeah. Do you remember how you did it? Like how you worded yeah, it? Yeah, so sorry. It, mm, so it wasn't on my private page or anything as you know magical and and unicorny as that it was on a <laughs> an honor writing group uh page on social media um and uh yeah and I just basically said where should I pitch this this is the general gist of it um yeah and someone um reached out to me which was amazing and it wasn't immediate of course there was no guarantee whatsoever um there was you know looking at many iterations of it lots of back and forth you know the wheels of um, you know, pre-publication move achingly slowly. But, um, but yeah, thankfully um, it went, you know, past the tests along the way, I suppose. And um, I, yeah, was extremely lucky. So that yeah, is just I incredible. Like I've not heard of that sort of scenario yet. We haven't had that in the podcast. And I feel like yeah. now we have listeners who are like, well, I might just go out there and ask the question <laughs> and cross my fingers. <laughs> and yes, I'm not sure if I should have uh, come clean about that. I might get in trouble with my... <laughs> No, gosh, it's interesting to see that publishers are watching watching pages, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, and I was really lucky that my um, uh, editor and publisher who first looked at it, I think, um, you know, felt an affinity with it and it just was the right fit. You know, I think that's, you know, obviously a huge part is luck, a huge part is hard work, but I think finding or trying to find an appropriate home for it is really important rather than just kind of, you know, trying to pitch it everywhere willy-nilly, although I definitely understand that instinct. It's not maybe the best course of action. So, um, yeah, so it was very, very fortunate. Wow. So then the editorial process, you said that some things changed when you started doing the edit. Is there anything, I guess, looking back now, anything major that you were like, oh, okay, yep, I should have done that from the get-go, or this was a big change when we went Mm. into the edit? The only significant change was an addition. Um, So, uh, again, this has sort of changed recently, which is quite interesting, but historically I was an underwriter rather than an overwriter. Okay. Um, (laughs) And because this was drawn from the thesis, which had a word limit on it um, necessarily, it was quite short. I think it was about uh, 55,000 words or so. Um, and so my team basically said that they, you know, there was a lot to love in the original sketchy drafts, um, but that it was 
not necessarily too short in terms of word count, but it needed to be developed more, fleshed out mm-hmm. more. So basically the protagonist in those early stages felt, I think, a bit like she was passively along for the ride of her life rather than being an active participant in, you know, decision-making processes. Um, And so I ended up adding, I'm not sure, precisely about 10 or 15,000 words to it. Um, And I'm so happy I did. I think it's an infinitely, infinitely better manuscript than the one that I um, handed in originally, um, which I'm just appalled to think people have read. But, you know... (laughs) So did you, had you signed the contract prior to these changes or was it a go back workshop this and then we will see if we like it yeah it was that it was go back and workshop it so um considering that process dragged out for months which is still quite rapid Mm -hmm. in the scheme of things um so I don't say it as a complaint but it was nerve-wracking so um but I uh was in Brisbane over Christmas during the lockdowns and we were stuck inside and so I just treated it as a writing retreat for three weeks and basically (laughs) just did all the changes (laughs) on minimal sleep and lots of sugary Christmas food and got it done. Um, And yeah, and then they um, had a second or third read of it and yeah, very happily liked it. So we were on nerve wracking having that carrot dangled in front of you, but knowing that it could really go either way after you'd done the work. Yes, it was not a lot of sleep for a long time (laughs) with the nerves around that. Um, It seemed very likely, but there was just no way to know. You know, um, everyone was very encouraging, but it's such a, you know, an uncertain process. And then, you know, even if they, the two people who were interacting with me on it liked it personally, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get through those other stages. So um, it was a bit of a, yeah, a long journey, but it was, um, yeah, thankfully it all worked out along each step of the way. Do you have off the top of your head, do you remember how much time would have passed from between, I guess, you eventually finding that message in your spam inbox and then (laughs) the book actually physically being in your hand? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. In my brain, I think it's about 10 months, but I'm sure that I'm not including those original few months before I signed Mm -hmm. because that just seems too quick. I know it's often about a year, but I know that mine was a little bit quicker because I am um, a speedy writer. I'm very, very quick at uh, making changes and and writing things up, which worked to my benefit um, in terms of the schedule that they had, you know, sort of for the year in terms of being able to put it out. Um, So I'm not sure exactly, but maybe around about a year, which is mm-hmm. seems like very quick. Well, time. Seems quick. like a really long time when you put it like that. But once you're in the industry, you know it's actually quite fast. Yeah. <laughs> and when I think about um because I didn't graduate from my PhD for about a year just with the staggering of the graduations. And so I was uh already had signed the contract before I graduated, which makes it seem very quick considering it was born <laughs> from that thesis. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So how did you find when you actually did sign the contract? working with a publisher in that perspective, publish, um, excuse me, editing, cover, all of those things. Yeah, it was really delightful. So um, my, um, obviously I had no point of reference having only published small pieces before um, and by and large nonfiction pieces before this. Um, So it was just a brave new world. Um, And I thought with a big organisation like Penguin Random House, you know, I just had no idea what to expect. But um, I have a small team, so you're not just sort of in amongst the giant, you know, machinery of it all. Um, And my editor was just absolutely wonderful, Um, you know, neither too 
close an eye nor too removed, um, really seemed to understand the work and what I was trying to achieve. Um, and likewise, my publisher, um, even the cover art, I was kept in the loop and, you know, was able to look at a few options for the audiobook. I was able to listen to a few options. So it felt very collaborative. Um, and even though it was ultimately, you know, the decisions were made by the experts and rightfully so, I felt like my voice was, you know, a huge part of the consideration process for it all. And it was ultimately my work. So yeah, it was really lovely, truthfully. I have to ask, you've written a book that's based in a record store. Music's obviously very, very prominent in it. When you write, do you listen to music or silence? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I used to listen to music um, when I was studying, although usually slightly maybe more ambient or kind of just in the background. But yeah, nowadays, I don't know, something's changed in my writing practice, I suppose, with a few of my answers, but I usually don't listen to music while I'm writing. It's more a celebratory putting on a record after. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do tend to get a little bit distracted nowadays if I'm listening to something while I'm trying to write. Yeah. I am always really impressed when I hear of people who can write to music because I feel like the lyrics, different words, maybe instrumental would be okay, but it would have to be really perfect mood-wise yeah. to the tone of the book and, oh, God, the, it would have too many things would have to align for it to work for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, sometimes it clicks and it's the right fit, but, yeah, most of the time nowadays I'm working in, in absolute silence. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, was whose decision was it? I haven't seen this in a book for a while. No quotation marks. Oh, around the dialogue? Or- yeah, around the dialogue. Yeah, um- That was actually one of the changes. So originally there were um, quotation marks, just single. I always prefer for my writing, single versus double. It sounds so pedantic, but I feel like I'm aware it's a punctuation mark when it's double. Yes, okay. (laughs) Um, And then I think I just um, was looking at it and I just experimented with, um, you know, control H, one of the commanders on the keyboard, deleting them all. And I just found that it, made me feel more immersed into the story and it felt like I don't know it felt more authentic and natural because I think and I apologize if this is a slightly rambling I'm thinking this out as I'm think about it's fine <laughs> as I'm answering um because it's a confessional story and it's very much the interior of the character's mind I kind of wanted maybe not consciously, but to sort of blur the distinction between her thoughts and what she said, because to me it was all equally truthful and important. Um, I'm not sure if that makes perfect sense. but No, I think it it does because I did stop and think about it because I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a novel for a little while. And I was like, oh, I guess given it is a confessional, it is almost that question of is Kathy recapping the story and there how she remembers people saying things to her. Mm. So it's more of, I guess, a paraphrase type thing rather than a Mm. direct quote type thing. Yeah. 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 It was meant to be um, more of a direct quote, I think, but with a, maybe a sense of immediacy um, Mm -hmm. in what I was trying to achieve with that. Yeah. So are you still working in record stores now? 
Um, not as of about three months or so. So quite recently I um, stepped away from the shop I was working at here in Sydney, um, but we're still uh, on great terms. I'm going to be popping in there on Friday to say hello. They'll be stocking the novel, which is lovely. Um, so that's repressed records in Newtown, if anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just, uh, because I do another job as well as my writing, um, and towards the end of last year, I had about four jobs and it was just getting a bit too much to juggle. So I unfortunately had to choose one to <laughs> put aside. So how do you get the words written? Are you an early morning, late night, break time? Mid-morning? <laughs> There's no set time for me. I tend to wake up, um, have coffee, go to the gym begrudgingly um, <laughs> and then come back Um have a bit of a read. Um, I'm very blessed in that my regular job is afternoon and evening. Um, so I have basically all day to kind of potter around. Um, and I don't sort of force myself to sit there for, you know, five, six, seven hours. It's just kind of however long feels right. I, I roughly try to get sort of 500 to 1500 words done in a day. Um, but I'm not sort of cracking the whip on myself if I don't achieve that. Um, but like I said, I'm a pretty uh, fast writer, so it often gets done. <laughs> so what's next for you? Are there more stories on the horizon or what are you thinking? Yes, um, I'm actually uh, quite a ways through my second novel. Um, I'm about 40 40 to 45,000 words in, which is pretty good, I think. Um, and I'm um, yeah, hoping to get that one sort of, you know, pitched and into the universe and hopefully it will be accepted. Um, so fingers crossed on that one. Um, uh, so I'm really enjoying writing that, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. And truthfully, I never thought I'd write another novel. So even that is <laughs> quite caught the bug. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really did. I think... Um, you know, not having it attached to academia and having some, uh, you know, validation and confidence from the first one just sort of was a bit of a game changer for me. So I'm really um, just leaning into the enjoyment factor for however long it lasts for now. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. It's so refreshing to hear someone say that about a second book. Usually people are like, oh, there's just so much pressure to get a second book written and that's how I feel. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, you just yeah. keep going. But to hear you say, oh, you know, it's, it's a confidence boost, like I'm just going to I'm going to get into it and get it going, that. That's so nice to hear. So are you setting yourself a time limit or is it a just see how it goes? Um, not in a strict sense, but I feel that by around December would probably be reasonable. Um, I think for me um, to have it, you know, to have the sort of first draft finished. Um, uh, but, yeah, not a kind of a strict time frame, but I don't want it to sort of drag out infinitely. Um, that is actually a pretty short turnaround, I suppose. But um, I, yeah, I'm just kind of having fun writing it. So the words are on the page, not every day. Um, some days it's the worst process ever, but, <laughs> you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, and in the meantime, I'm doing a few odds and ends, little personal essays and things on the side, which is, um, you know, a nice way to break it up when I can't quite get into that headspace. So, um, yeah, just kind of trying to make it part of a more regular practice than maybe it used to be back in the day. You sound like you have everything balanced perfectly. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> keep it, just keep the illusion going. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's right. Like, 
Catherine Pollock, thank you so, so much. Her Fidelity is out now. Congratulations to you. It's fantastic. And I highly recommend people grab a copy while they can. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.